0: More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at Sojourntulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N-Tulsa.org. We are going to be looking at um 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Gonna cover all of chapter 9 today. And it's a pretty easy storyline to read through. Um you guys know me. This is my favorite day of the year. This is bigger than Christmas to me. Not any slant on Jesus' birthday. It's still good. Jesus wasn't actually his birthday, but um, spring break this week lines up with also uh, the daylight savings time. So when you get to set that um, clock forward an hour, that means there's more daylight at the end of the day. And so it's crushing to me in October when it's you know dark at five o'clock and it's cold and gray, and uh, when the sun's out like till eight or nine o'clock. I just love it. And so uh, Jamie acts like that this one hour loss of sleep affects her for the whole year. So she acts like that this, even this morning, she said, well, why don't you just lose an hour every single night if you're so happy about it? Why don't you just give up an hour? So that's that's how bitter her heart can be. So pray for her. Pray for us. Um, but I, I truly love it. Spring break is great. Um, we, uh, you know, it comes spring break time. And so we're living in an area where when we we're at Bixby and now even at Metro, there's a lot of affluence around. So when you ask people, you're like, oh, hey, what are you guys doing for spring break? Like, you just kind of step back. Like, you know, what are they going to say? So some people are like, oh, yeah, we're, we're taking a quick trip to Australia. Yeah, we're just going to go about 10 days. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. And so we're going to go to Hawaii for you know, a quick trip, seven or eight, 10 days. And so then you know, they ask us, and it turns to me, and I'm like, ah. Uh, we thought about going to Chili's like on Wednesday in the middle of the week, you know, and so uh, our neighbor, it's even worse for him, so um, our neighbor across the street, you guys have heard me talk about Jeremy, he is one of the hardest working guys you could ever imagine. So he is a, an American Airlines mechanic, but he also, and he's been there for like 20-something years, he can fix anything, build anything. He also has his own hay business, and this hay business, he's constructed um, this um, machine that cuts um, cutting hay and baling hay and, and, and raking it and everything into uh, like a third of the time. So if you had, you know, 20 hours of work, he can do it, you know, in like seven. And so an um, incredible uh, process that he's done. So he, he can do everything. So he uh, came to me Thursday, and I, you see my arm, so I'm all kind of gimpy. So this is uh, where I had a little, little minor surgery on um, and, uh, a few people. Some of you medical people are probably like, that's not even a minor surgery, Sankey. So they cut out a cancer, could have died on the table or sitting up or whatever it was. And so they uh, cut out this spot in my arm. And so he comes over to me on Thursday and is like, he didn't see this. And he was like, hey, what are you and your boys doing on spring break? And I was like, ah, we're we're thinking about some different things. The boys have some stuff planned. But um," he said, well, hey, we're going to bust up my concrete driveway and rip it all out. And then we're going to form it and and lay all the concrete for a new driveway. I was going to see if you you guys want to help. And so, I mean, immediately I was, you know, like pointing to my arm like, Man, I'm so sorry. And Owen and my other son, one of my sons, he's like got back problems. And Jackson's probably going to be busy. Sankey's probably, you know, so I was, you know, bailing out real quickly. But then literally Friday when the snow hit, it was like fifteen degrees, I'm in my office, you know, gimpy, packing it, taking an hour to box up a box of books, and he's literally busting up with his two boys out there in the cold, snow, wind. And they're busting up the concrete, taking a saw, one of those uh, cement saws. So his kid's down on his hands and knees, waters all over as it's snowing, and they're cutting through the concrete. And then he's got a skid steer. He does all this himself. And then he breaks through the curb. I didn't know you could do this. So the curb that lines the, uh, um, don't laugh, Tyler. Um, I, I knew you could do it, but you're just not supposed to. But you break up the curb it runs along your street. So he's got this machine that just like <clears throat> rams into it. He's breaking up the street almost. And so like that's how Jeremy is. And if that machine just breaks down, he probably just gets down and fixes it. And so that's his spring break. And so the beautiful thing about that, he's got his boys out there with him. And so they get to learn all these things from their dad. And so there's great little pictures. I'm just standing there in my office where it's warm and nice. And comfortable, and he's out there in the freezing elements all day Friday. And he does like 12 hour work days, those poor boys. And like they, if they eat sandwiches, like it's on the run, like it's a sandwich as you're walking along with dad. And so um, uh, they're out there, and he's showing them different things, and he's doing different things. And they're, you know, this kid's got a saw that most men couldn't handle, and he's 14, and they're doing all these things. And so the beauty of that is they're learning so much from the father, they're learning. So I many, not, not just a hard work ethic, but they're learning some beautiful, beautiful things. Um, probably saving, you know, what, $30,000 to be able to do that yourself. But I mean, you know, it's not easy, it's concrete. But beyond the conqueror, beyond the hard work even, they're learning things about their father. He's never screaming at them and yelling at them, calling them stupid. He's an incredible father. It's a missing element in our culture as far as a dad being so good about training them in ways of just how to use your hands and how to get out and work in those things. And so uh, it's a beautiful thing when you see someone learning from the father. So sons and daughters learning the ways of the Father is exactly what Paul wants to get across to this this crowd of the Corinthians. Look at the Father and see the way that He's dealt with us, and I want you to learn to walk in that. You don't have to be stingy with your time and greedy with your time and greedy with your money, your life, your gifts, your talents. No, look, look what the Father has done. He's poured out and lavished on us all this grace, and it's for your good. It doesn't mean that grace always equates to ease or comfort, but sometimes it's good. It's like exercise. It's good for you to, to work hard. It's good for you to learn these things. It's good for you to give even though you feel like you earned it. It's good for you. So that's what Paul's going to get across to these um, Corinthians this week. And so we're going to see that the main theme come out, this idea of learning the love of the Father. Learning the Love of the Father. Um, I put the title as God's Abundant Grace Leads to Abundant Obedience. So you're going to see that um, God's abundant grace lavished out on us. We've seen that in chapter 8 and chapter 9. Then it should lead to abundant obedience. And last week we saw that gospel-driven generosity requires action. So we we have this change of heart going on, but then it is going to require us to follow through. And so sometimes you probably have experiences in different areas, maybe not in giving, maybe it is in giving, maybe it is finances, but in areas of the Christian life where you felt convicted and you've wanted to change, and then it's like, man, I kind of need a plan of how to do that. Maybe it's to avoid certain people or to avoid certain temptation. Maybe it's to start doing something proactively and taking step. and then you know, a week later, two weeks later, you look and go, oh, man, I, I didn't do it again. I failed again. And so that's kind of miserable. Sometimes that's because we're doing it on our own strength. Sometimes we haven't learned about ourselves, And so we're going to talk about that when we finish 2 Corinthians, that what Paul tells Timothy, um, learn more about yourself and your doctrine. Be be well acquainted with yourself and the doctrine. And so um, sometimes people are really good about knowing doctrine. They don't know themselves very well. And so um, in this, we're going to see it requires action. Follow through. So sometimes we need the Holy Spirit, and we haven't learned how to do that. And the church really hasn't helped us in that. So it's either you're, you're disciplined enough to do things, and, and then the rest of the people are just not, or you kind of learn how to depend on the Holy Spirit and how to change through the Holy Spirit. And so um, they've been taking up an offering. Um, they started this a year earlier, and for the poor in Jerusalem. And and he's challenged them to, to start that back up. But it has to do with their hearts to understand the generosity of God that's been poured out on them. So we saw that um, this aspect of money, where a lot of churches want to take this as the time to you know, really hound on people. that You've got to give more. You've got to give more. You've got to give more. Second Corinthians 9, it's all about finances. Well, actually, it's not just about finances. It's about much more than finances. God is not in need of our money. Actually, what he's doing is he's going, you don't realize it, but money is actually a very good revealer of, of, of your heart. Um, from his perspective, it's an instrument that reveals things about our heart. Um, and so we're going to see more of that going forward this week. That if, if, if God owns all your heart and you've understood the gospel well and you're looking to the gospel continually, then, then money is no issue. Um, you would even give to the point, not just out of your cushy uh, bank account, but even sacrificially like, hey, you know what? I don't have a $1,000, but they're in extreme need. And I'm going to give $500, even though I don't have a 1000 in the bank. But they're in extreme need. I'm going to give 500 What would you do with some of those Ukrainian people that you see right now? Some of those pictures. As the dad's got his hand up on the train, as the, the three kids and the mom are being whisked off to someplace that's not comfortable, it's not a nice hotel we would stay in, right? It may be a tent. It may be some place where they they don't have jobs. They don't have food waiting on them. They don't have the stuff. And so what would you do for them? We'd we'd probably want to sacrifice a little bit, wouldn't we? And so um, Paul's going to press them on this. That Gospel-driven hearts, um, it should be revealing something. And so it should lead to action, as we saw last week. But this week we're going to see that all of this comes from learning the love of the Father. So um, the three main sections we're going to cover there in chapter 9 is the first one, the first uh, main point is going to be in uh, 9, uh, 1 through 5, and it's their readiness to give. And so you'll see Paul kind of hitting on this idea of their readiness to give, which I, I, I kind of uh, put over it, just a conviction, uh, a conviction of heart. So this readiness and conviction. And then the second thing that we're going to see in verses 6 through 9 is joy-filled generosity. Um, That idea of just joy-filled generosity. You can actually get to the place of having joy out of being generous. And actually, the reason we can get to that place, that's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of the Father. Very sacrificially gave his son and has slowly, patiently bared with all of us in our sin years and years and years since you were born until you finally turned and appreciated him, until you finally turned and received his, his gospel. And so, all that, that he's joyfully. Been pouring out generosity on us, not only in our provision and our life and our breath and our health, our finances, our food, our, our comforts, all those things. He's even actually allowed you a big space where, where you were allowed to sin and sin and sin and sin and sin. And he didn't come squishing you, squishing you like the old Saturday Night Live skit where they I'm squishing your heads, I'm squishing your heads. They'd take their little pinchers. You guys are probably, most of you are too young for that, but it's a really great skit. It means a lot in life, squishing your heads. And so the third thing is uh, chapter 9, verses 10 through 15. Generosity from God actually turns around and it glorifies God. So if if God's plan works and he pours out abundant generosity and grace, and we receive it and we realize that we're, we're, we're changed, we're redeemed, we're new image bearers, then we will reflect that, and we will become true image-bearers in our new identity, and that, in turn, leads to worship of Him, more glory for God. So let's pray, and then I'm going to read. um, Let's read first, and then I'll pray uh, all of chapter 9. Now it is superfluous of me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, For for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing for you for being so confident." So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will, be, will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By the approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So Father, we do come to you thanking you for your inexpressible gift. Uh, Most pointedly, the gospel of Christ. Most pointedly, your son on the cross, as we just sang about. We pray that you would allow us to enjoy and treasure that most inexpressible gift of grace. We thank you for all the other graces on our lives. We thank you for um, all the ways that you have blessed us and provided for us. We pray now, Father, as we we do know where the world is at uh, with all that's going on, uh, we pray for the leaders of the world. We pray for wisdom for those leaders that are facing huge decisions. We pray that you would not allow Satan to continue to just capture the minds of greedy, powerful uh, men that would be used to... Um, just hurt and destroy for the sake of greedy gain, for the sake of power. Um, We know that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy on a mass scale and also on an individual level. And so we pray, Father, that you'd bring wisdom, that you would allow um, the the right people to be led um, in truth, in wisdom, and even in love. Even people that do not know you, Lord, that would um, still be, uh, by your grace, led to be concerned about others and care for others. We pray that even using these difficult times and painful times, Father, um, that your gospel would spread to people, um, that there would be missionaries awaiting those refugees traveling to different places, that there would be um, believers, pockets of believers, who would open up their homes and their lives and the gospel to people that are uh, hidden in, in, in darkness and oppression. We pray that you would use all of this for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. So and this first idea here, the first main point, this conviction of heart or um, the, the um, readiness to give, Paul wants to communicate, uh, surely you're ready to do this. And it would be embarrassing for me to get there with some of these Macedonians who we've been bragging about, uh, bragging about you guys too. And so the Macedonians, remember, were the poor. So you got Thessalonica and you've got uh, Philippi and you've got Berea, those areas. And so they were, like like I'd said a couple weeks ago, kind of like 61st and Peoria over here. And then, But then the Corinthians were like the, the southern hills over here and on the other side. And so it would be embarrassing after we've been bragging to the ones uh, that, that are the poor to, to then show up and you guys not have any of that money because they have given, the poor ones, even though they've given out of their, their, their nothingness. It would be embarrassing on your part. You'd be humiliated. So if what Paul's doing, he, he does this in lots of letters where he lays out this argument um, to where um, he 's being very extremely firm with them and kind of not giving them very much wiggle room, holding them accountable, which they they needed probably because that church had such a mess going on sometimes um, but, but he 's holding them very firmly in accountability, but he 's also expressing with much grace so it's a it 's a weird way his language in this letter. Um, he reveals that he's already talked to the Macedonians about their willingness. He lets them know, he says that this even stirred up the faith of the Macedonians when they heard that you, you know, wealthy Corinthians, that the gospel is changing you so much that you're willing to give to, to the poor in Jerusalem. And and we saw last week where um, Paul was saying, hey, we're going to send a group ahead and they're going to start that collection process. That was Titus and the, the famous well-known preacher that was going. Um, so, Think of these poor and poverty-stricken Macedonian churches giving while the rich Corinthian church had not been giving. In and, and Corinth, it was the capital of Achaia, and he knows it will be a, a willing gift, uh, not them being under compulsion but flowing from what they've talked about, their appreciation of God's generosity. So that's why he keeps on bringing up God's generosity to them talking about this is how God has shown us his generosity. Now, wouldn't you want to act in accordance with that? He's going to um, take all of that back to God's generosity again in this next section. Um, In verses 6 through 9, the joy-filled generosity. He says this, and and notice Paul doesn't do this a whole lot of times where he just says this, the point is this. Um, But he starts out the sentence that way, whoever so sparingly, will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So he quotes a proverb, and if you will notice, here's the key to this. Um, thinking through what what does this little proverb mean? Why does he insert this at this point? Um, sowing sparingly versus sowing bountifully. Or sowing beyond measure. So there's two ways to sow seeds. The first way is to use extreme caution. So if you're, you're thinking of a, a person and think of that that culture that they were in, they most of them knew the um, lifestyle of um, the the planter and the the ones who would um, till the ground up and then plant the seed and water the seed and then much much later would come a harvest. And so in that you can, when you sow the seed, do you sow it? Um, sparingly, and you're very, very cautious. And so he's wanting them to think through, even though God has poured out, lavished upon you, just, just an overflow, not being concerned about loss, not being concerned about running out, even though that's how God has treated you, are you real selective and careful in what you give back? And so like we said, if, if God owns a heart, are you real selective in how you react with relationships? Are you real selective on how you are with your giving of time? Are you real selective and cautious and worried about losing time, losing the emotions that go into relationships? Are you worried about losing financially? And so if God owns a heart on this, well, look what God has done. He, it hurt his heart to have to watch us in sin, to patiently endure all of our sin. It hurt his heart to sacrificially give the Holy One Christ, the innocent lamb for all the guilty. And so it's a picture of the Father. So remember we talked about learning the ways of the Father? If you've understood the Father, are you sowing cautiously and carefully? And so our, thinking through our application of that is just the idea of... Am I the type of person who is extremely cautious? You know what? And let me tell you, in ministry, you, you learn this. What's difficult is showing up and going, man, here's these people, and, and more time with them is going to mean more emotional ties, like more emotional roadbands. But we've been burned so many times by so many people. Do you do it again? Do you keep doing it? Do you keep doing it? Do you keep doing it? When people have hurt you and hurt you and hurt you and hurt you, you have to. Why? Because you don't want to become cautious in that. I'm going to be cautious with my time. I'm going to be cautious with my love. I'm going to be cautious with giving you know, giving five hours of my time to help serve this community group or this small group or, or some people in our small group or giving of my finances I've got some plans, and if I can just do this in the next 10 years, the next 15 years, then I'll give abundantly. That's one of the things that I have, with the problem with the Dave Ramsey thing, You know the, I think the key phrase of live this way now so you can live that way, well, I mean, it's like, well, hey, we give our tithe, we, we give that, and sure, we'll give an extra 200 if someone has an extreme. Hey, if you're living this way real tight and miserly so you can save 8,000 a month, Maybe you need to give 8000 next month. You know, maybe this this need comes up in these people, and some people, and I'll tell you, you guys Sojourn Church, y'all have done that. Y'all have done that repeatedly. But that's the one thing that I see about a lot of places is there's this fear. It's this caution. Um, And so he's going, hey, is that really what God has done here? Um, Versus wouldn't you want to just give and believing that God is going to continue to bless that and multiply that and work that out? Um, consider why God wanted to use that proverb to be inserted on the issue of the heart. Context is key. If you're a person on the end of having plenty, it's a much different view than that of the person who is in desperate need, right? So you may have went through some times before when you were in desperate need. And if you notice in life, in kind of our um, in our little um, lifeline as we go on, and we make progress in life, and you get to that point where maybe it's your early teens or your early 20s that it's just a struggle and a struggle, and then you get to your mid-20s and it's doing a little bit better, and then you get to your 30s and it's a little bit better. And If you've been in desperate need before, then you have a completely different view and a completely different perspective of what gracious um, gratitude giving looks like. But once you've kind of arrived once you've kind of landed in a certain position, once we're secured, once we've been provided for, once we've made it to a certain level, once we've been given lavish and abundant grace, how we sometimes retreat from from caution once we take steps up. We forget what it was like to be in desperate need. And so that's speaking spiritually. So what's it like to be in desperate need of the gospel? What's What's it like to be pursuing everything in life. And so you may be a huge, successful CEO, huge, successful business person, killing it financially, but you're you're completely separated and dead. It may be the financial aspect of they're completely in desperate need um, financially. We forget what that's like. We forget what it's like being lost. We forget what it's like not having a desperate need, spiritually or financially or relationally. We forget what that's like. As soon as we make that turn, and through God blessing us and God graciously pouring out on us provision, better jobs, better family, better relationships, and all these things. All, and, and then if we're not careful, we go, Well, hey, here's our little um, nice group. We've got our three or four couples we like to hang out with. And, and now, uh, if we let them in, they may change the dynamic. So, do you see what we do? We, we pull back, we're fearful, we're cautious. And Paul's point there, what Paul wants the Corinthians to see, God wants all of us uh, to see that you're actually still in need of abundant grace. We forget that. You're making more. You've got a circle of friends. Your your kids are healthy. And what do we do? That's the American idea. You're forgetting. You are in desperate need today. You are in desperate need And that's what we forget in this trajectory of life. Paul wants to show, you're still in need. And and, and notice where it goes to, where where his argument goes to. He uses this parable to then bring it to this. Because here's what God is. Notice what he says. He has distributed freely. So he starts it out with that that idea. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will, will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And then he goes... Because He, let me remind you, has distributed freely. His whole premise of all of that, the premise of changing your heart, is God has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So think through this. You have to go back to verse 6 to see, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows abundantly, well, how did God handle that with us? That was he sowing sparingly or was he sowing abundantly for us? What do we see in God's generosity? If you're becoming more of that new identity, image bearers um, of, of God's renewed change in you, then, then obviously you want to be the type of person, in not only your finances, but also your relationships, your time, your gifting, your abilities to, 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 sh- to, to share, to um, give generously of those things. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly. So instead of people that will give reluctantly, which is showing I've got a little caution, I'm a little bit greedy with that. My heart hasn't really been changed, but I'm going through the motion. I am doing it, but I'm doing it reluctantly. Or under compulsion. So this is talking more about this ideal of I'm not really thankful And grateful, I'm reluctant because it's a list I'm supposed to do. Well, I'm supposed to come to church. I'm supposed to give. I'm supposed to. That's not a heart of, oh my gosh, I was redeemed, saved from my sins, but I was also saved into a community of people. I was redeemed into a new community of people that's helping to sanctify me. So God loves a cheerful and that, that means a grateful heart, a thankful, appreciative heart. So, this shows us we are still dependent upon His abundant outpouring and provision. We're still in need of His abundant grace. Um, and, and God says, God is able. So, so, think through this. Instead of the idea of I've arrived, now it's no, if I see myself still in need of grace, I still every day am amazed at God's provision. I still every every day I'm amazed at God's grace over my sins for yesterday and the day before and the day before. I'm still amazed at my need for grace. Just, just wait till a weakness hits. Wait till wait till an illness hits. Wait till health strikes. Wait till uh, a pandemic hits, and then all of a sudden everyone's knees get shaky, and we're not such confident, capable, capitalistic Americans, right? All of a sudden uh, my political party doesn't matter as much. Like everything's kind of shaken. And so we have to remember that we're desperately in need of grace. And so Paul reminds him, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Well, I thought we've already received grace if we're believers. And you need it continually. All grace abounding. And that picture of abounding, usually, I, I actually did not look up in the, the Greek on this one, but usually it's if you've stood in the ocean before, those waves that come, if you're standing and you're up to it like your waist, and it kind of just rocks you back and forth. It's just that constant uh, movement. It's just like constant waves. It's just this powerful force, and it's constant. It just doesn't stop. So it's, it's abounding. It's just continually coming at you, continually coming at you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So let me show you what this, this ongoing grace looks like. So each one must give as he or she has decided in his heart. But we realize maybe we've not been faithful at giving, tithing, or um, maybe with relationships, with time, with our abilities, those things. So the those things we talked about are our time, our talent, and our treasure. Um. There's this process. So, this is where we need God's grace. And so, this is this, these things that we've talked about repeatedly. We need conviction from the Holy Spirit. And your heart needs to be changed from reluctant and unwilling or greedy to appreciative and grateful. So, I need a heart change. I need God's grace to come in the form of conviction of heart. Man, I see we do need a different view on giving. And that may be the practical aspect even of like, hey, you know what? We have to stop going to three movies a week or eating out five nights a week, especially in today's economy, right? So like even just, you know, like bread and hamburger meat is like enough. And so um, then in gas, all those things. So we may have to change some things because we're not being able to be faithful in giving. Um, so I'm convicted about that. I want to change to repent. So we see the gifts of grace of conviction from the Holy Spirit. We see the gift of repentance and change our views on this. And we're not really good at this, but we also need to confess, which is just agreeing with God. So we see confession. God, I'm agreeing with you that I need to change on this. Um, To align with God's heart of love and care, generosity to others. So this process. So do you see this ongoing grace? Do Do you see he hasn't crushed you or cursed you even though you failed? What has He done, even though you might not have met up to the standard? What has He done to you? He's only brought more grace. He only continually is patient with us. He only continually just gives us more room. He, and does he come and squash us or, you know, crush your car? I got in the, my Tahoe this morning after all that we've had this week. I had the, the bug last Sunday night, like got, got a little bit sick, and then I uh, had a kid who got sick. And then Owen, we had a couple of appointments with his back thing, and then I had this little surgery. And so it's been a crazy week, and then I get in this morning, and it's like, you know, favorite day of the year, and God just puts a reminder, there's a crack right in the middle of my Tahoe's windshield. And the, the windshield's probably worth more than the Tahoe. So I'm like, do you do this, or do you just wait for it to fall in on you? And so there's ongoing grace. There's ongoing um, grace and mercy. We need to be reminded that we are at this place of needing more grace. Um, So there's this hope for conviction and repentance and confession. And he lavishes that on us. He doesn't come and crush your vehicle. He doesn't come and destroy your life. He comes to you in grace even more. Um, If you'd... If you'd make more of than just a four-minute feeling conviction sometimes sitting in church and then really take it and take a note on your phone and then go Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and like, hey, God, I was really feeling convicted about this, about the way I spend my time or the way we are with relationships or the way that we are with um, our spending. And then you actually, that's where you see change is you're, hey, I need you to change my heart on this. I'm convicted about it. I need a stronger conviction and I need to repent on this, change my thinking on this and let that apply to my actions like we saw last week. And then I'm agreeing with you that I need change. And then that's when renewal and transformation comes. So now you've changed and like two weeks later, two months later, you're going, wow, we have been spending more time. We have been giving of ourselves more. We have been giving more financially. And you know what? We're we're, we're actually experiencing some life-giving things. And yet when I thought, continuing to go around that cul-de-sac, you know, just collecting more stuff and buying more stuff and more entertainment, more entertainment, I was never filled. I was never filled with that. I was never satisfied. And that's what our culture is in the middle of right now. Especially coming off of the pandemic, everyone's looking for what brings security and comfort. So everyone's searching for that. Um, so now we've got renewal, which is transformation, asking help from the Spirit, which, which that brings change and growth and maturity. And now you begin to rest. Now, I begin to rest, and rest in Christ. And what I mean by that is I'm ceasing to continue to pursue the things that I pursued before. So what I mean is resting in the provision of Christ. First of all, positionally for me. I I, I don't have to worry about earning or making myself acceptable to God. I'm acceptable to God because of Christ. So I'm resting in the position of Christ, standing before God. You are justified. Just in the position that it's nothing that you can do. It's not about how much you give. It's not about how much time you give, so you can't earn your way. Um, It's not giving out of fear or compulsion or reluctancy, but I'm resting in Christ's new identity for me. Not needing to impress others with the stuff that I can buy, not needing to impress others uh, with more stuff or more respect uh, or more impressive status or more impressive ability. Rest in. In Christ, I cease from striving after the things that my heart keeps looking to, hoping that that's what's going to provide life. So whatever that is, it's spring. I want to get my body in shape and start. And I'll spend the next three or four months working and trying to have this body. This woman that wants this body. This guy that wants this body. Uh, It's time to get the boat out and start doing all this stuff. I'm looking for fulfillment, looking for satisfaction. It's not saying that it's, it's wrong to go swimming, that it's wrong to work out, that it's wrong to go boating, to go fishing. It's saying that you're we're, we're people who struggle with that becoming an idol that begins to occupy all of our time thinking that's finally going to bring the satisfaction my heart's looking for and you're not resting in Christ. So when we put these together and there's this conviction of heart that leads me to confess that to God and there's true repentance So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm thinking, and not just on Sunday morning for a three-minute time span, now it moves to renewal where transformation takes place. And now if you learn that, hey, oh, you know what? Instead of giving more this week, I did see the new so-and-so car come out, or I did see the new whatever. I don't know, I've learned I'm resting in Christ. I don't have to do that. I'm resting in Christ. It's okay for us to go and do that one thing, but if I have to do it 30 times, my heart's being lied to. It's not going to satisfy. I'm resting in Christ now. And now that leads me to more worship of God. I see that my life is about this, and I, it's this blessing to these other people. So connecting the dots there. Um, and so for some people, th- that we just don't think through what that looks like. The world's culture says, you be you. Um, it's telling you, it's yours, you deserve more. You, 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 you. That's what the world's screaming to everyone. The church culture says you must give more to get more in the prosperity gospel, right? If you give more right now, we're pass the plates. God's going to multiply it times 100. You write the check for 1,000, you're going to get a house of you know, an extra $100,000 to go towards that new house if you write that check for 1,000. So give more, get more is one prosperity gospel message. But also inside the church, sometimes in our churches, maybe it's more like you must give more to be accepted by God. Keep your list. Keep your rules. That's the church culture teaching. The gospel culture is not like the world's culture. It's not like the church culture. The gospel culture says, look what God has already done. Look what God has done for me that I couldn't have deserved, that I could not have got from Him. Look what God has done. Is that currently changing me? Monday, is that currently changing me? So back in 2 Corinthians 3 gazing at, staring at the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. If I'm not gazing at the glory of the Lord, I'm not being transformed. If you're not gazing continually, you're not seeing transformation. If it's, I come to church and hope to hear some good points, and then Monday through Saturday, I've got another lifeline, I've kind of give this compartmentalized, here's my secular life, and then here's my Sunday church life, and then my Wednesday night group life. That's not connecting the idea there. Um, We've got to see that this is all flowing out. of. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Not just the poor financially, but also the poor spiritually. His righteousness endures forever. Notice his answer to that. It's not about money. He said that right living. The righteousness of God is what you need. He's poured out righteousness. You have Christ's righteousness imputed to you. That's why it's not a list you can keep on giving or relationships. It's I need... So if you're going to get in relationships, what are you going to need? You're going to need grace, right? Because you think they're nice for the first couple of hours you sit with them. And then third hour, they go actually, here's what I'm really going through. And you're like, oh my gosh, you alien, you weirdo. You need a team of psychologists following you around 24 hours a day. You're really messed up. We will no longer talk or have coffee together. Bye. And you don't say that to them. That's just what they receive. And so we we need grace, ongoing grace. So I hope you see that that there is hope and possibility for obedience, joy-filled generosity through God's process of grace. So that's that process that that was up there from um, repentance, uh, from conviction and repentance, confession, to now if, if I do that, then there is renewal through the Spirit. If I don't do that, if I'm not having conviction to change, and I'm not repenting and asking for change, and I'm not agreeing with God and confessing that, there's no change. We're waiting for the magical list. Give me four points on a better marriage. Four points to raise teenagers. Four points to have godly children. Four points for godly finances. If you're not going to go through that process that God has lined out for us, there's there's not, not any hope. If you're trying to do it on your own without the Spirit and the way the Spirit works, which is through those avenues, it's not going to happen. So think through, if you're a church that's wanting to see growth, was that just growth in numbers? Or is that, are we going to treat people a certain way once they get in here, no matter what they look like, no matter what they smell like, no matter what their lifestyle's like? Are we going to treat them in a certain way? So, what are the results when people respond correctly at a heart level and then follow through with generous action? So, he goes into this in verses 10 through 15. Um, if we're not careful, what we tend to do is we as the church tend to to not think through what does that look like in practical application, we begin to think through, I think I've got it all together. Um, What I mean by that is we work real hard on on our lists. Uh, We do, we give this amount, we we dress this way, we show up this time because we're supposed to, because we're supposed to, because we're supposed to. And so like I said a couple weeks ago, instead of being 20, Years of maturity in the church, 20 years of maturity in Christianity, 15 years of maturity in Christianity, five years of maturity, you're still acting like a nine-month-old. And you've been walking with the Lord for 20 years or 15 years because you're not going through that process. So what we begin to do is we, we begin to portray this idea of, well, I've got it all together. People should want to be like me my, in my obvious Godliness. And we don't realize we're doing that. We don't point them and show off God and his grace and our constant need, our humility, our our constant need for grace. We point to ourselves and why don't you get your life together and become like me? Obviously, I'm very righteous. Obviously, I'm very godly. I'm the most godly person here. Why don't you be like me? And we do it in all kinds of ways. And and it comes off across to people very clearly. To the lost world, that's what they get. That's why their number one word is usually hypocrisy, because sure they, they they may think yeah he probably gives to the church yeah they probably go to church every Sunday yeah they probably do this I know they go to their small group oh I know that they try to act nice and all this stuff but I know they're judging me and I also see the way that they're doing this and I see the way that... so they see these things which are true instead of us being in humility like oh you're you're right I'm a horrible failure so what did I give and so what did I go to that building on Sunday and Wednesday nights you're right you know, I lived around you for seven years and didn't even know your name. That's not a real loving neighbor, is it? Like Much less than really caring about you. And so we communicate and look at how, what we communicate is look at how godly and righteous I am. Why don't you stop being pitiful and become more like me? And that's not at all what God's wanting to do. So if you understand the godliness, remember the story, we, we, little boys and girls, they learn the ways of the Father. What has the Father been? What has Jesus been like? Completely Gracious. Do you come as a self-righteous know-it-all? Not at all. Think through a story. A loving parent asking their child to give generously or get a gift for someone. So you got this small child, and um, uh, when uh, Pastor Phil from our sending church at New Beginnings, um, he he made the huge mistake. They, their kids were all out of the home. Our boys were little. I think they were, they were like four, six, and eight at the time. And so they said, hey, me and Carol, Phil said, would you let us take Sankey and Owen Jackson to Walmart? Because uh, at our church at that point at Christmas time, they did those boxes, like the Christmas child boxes. So it's a shoe box and you can stuff as much toys and stuff. And you send it to like, you know, a country that's like, they act like you're giving them a Lamborghini. Like it's like little toys, like a rubber ball and some string and twine and a couple of puzzles and stuff. Like whatever you can fit in a shoe box, Operation Christmas Child. And like they send millions of these boxes over. And so what you do as a family is like, hey, it's a great time to teach your kids. We're giving to someone that has, much less than we do. And so Pastor Phil and Carol say, hey, we're going to take the, your boys to Walmart and we're going to let them pick out stuff. And so they gave them a set amount and everything. And so, you know, Sankey and Owen both at that point, you know, they're coming back and they're trying to get, you know, the biggest stuff, but they're, they're like being precise about the money stuff. Jackson comes literally like just dragging stuff, you know, probably $250 worth of stuff. And I think they gave them like, you know, $15 or $20 and like, and they're like, uh, no, that's too much. No, that's no. We have to put that back. Put that back. And so, in the middle of that, you know what happens with the kids? It's like you give your, you know, six-year-old or your eight-year-old or your ten-year-old a twenty-dollar bill and say you get to spend this on someone. We all hope that they just go, "Oh, twenty dollars. That's great." There is a part of all of us that goes, "Or oh, I could spend eighteen and keep two, or I could spend fifteen and keep five. Five for me, 15 for them. That's still better than nothing. You know, so notice the greed that kicks in and everything. And so think of this child. So um, our boys did a really good job in that, and they really did, and they learned, and they, they, they learned. And even in the last few weeks, uh, we've seen them doing some different things for each other. So all those little ideas um, of, of wanting a child to learn that, wanting a child to, to learn that. Um, think through. Um, you're completely using the parent's money, right? The kid didn't come up with the idea either, right? Um, the kid has nothing to buy with on his own. There, There is the chance that the kid may become greedy, wanting to keep or benefit himself from the gracious gift of the parent. Do you see the correlation? Do, do we do that? Here, here's that job. Here's that, what? Any chance that we, oh, man. God's given us a better job, more time, m- m- more money. Hey, I'll use more of my time, even though he's brought for more of my own pleasures. i use more of my money for my own pleasure. Do you see what we do? So this gracious father gives to the kid. There's the chance that the kid may become great, but the parent knows even that as part of the maturity and learning process, don't we? What do you expect out of the four-year-old? What do you expect out of the six-year-old? It's not their money. And you told this six-year-old kid, seven-year-old kid, 10-year-old kid, that we're giving this person, you're going to get to take the money and get them a gift or just give them this this money. You expect that there's probably the chance that they're gonna have a little bit of greed. The parent isn't mad or angry. It's almost natural to love yourself first. If not for the parent's guidance and help, remind no 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 we don't you don't get to keep five of it and give fifteen. We're giving the whole twenty to them, right? So so you kind of expect that. Um, the parent knows that it's a beautiful act of love to give to someone, just the act of giving, and wants the child not only know that, but to experience what that's like. Um, The recipient, think through the recipient. They know as well, this is not actually from the child, right? So when that person comes and you get this gift from this little child and they walk the little six-year-old up and they come carrying this thing, you know the six-year-old doesn't have a job. Most of you know that. And so then you're like, oh, that's really nice. Because really, I know that the six-year-old didn't have the money for that and the six-year-old probably didn't have the idea for that. It was actually the parent. But what you appreciate about that is not only the receiving of the gift, but also you're going, man, that's great that I see that parent teaching that child to think of others instead of themselves, right? So the recipient understands that also. They, they, they see it as an intentional act of love, and they actually receive love. They feel loved from that happening. They also know it's so good for that child to learn to give, and so they're blessed by seeing that. They, they know that, it must, that the parent must be... Um, and they, they also know how good the parent must be to not only think of the act towards them and to supply the need, but to also multiply the heart of giving in a child. So it's a beautiful act of love all the way around. As the child grows older, they feel loved when they receive stuff. So they're learning. Oh, when I get something, man, I really feel loved. Whether that's a good deed or something, a gift or whatever, someone just treats me with grace, I learn a lot out of that. She matures, she learns. And that far beyond the act itself, that the parent taught her, um. The, even the removal of selfishness that she learned, that he learned, is that greater than that is the learning the love of the parent. She has learned the love of the parent through that. That in that situation, it, it, it's not just the the gift itself; it's not what the recipient felt like, but what what the child learned and experienced was the love of the parent. And this is what Paul closes in on all this generosity from God, it glorifies God himself. So in that story, it's God who's given the grace. Notice what he says in verse 10. He who supplies need to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase. The Father, he is the key word. He's the one who's providing everything. And if he hands it into your hands and your hands are greedy with it, he gives you time and you're, you're greedy with it. He gives you relationships and giftings and you're greedy with it. He knows the heart. He sees that. He gives you an abundance of stuff and pours it out on you and you're cautiously, sparingly greedy and concerned. And he, he places things in front of you where it's just kind of a little test to see. Do you give lavishly? Because you've learned the ways of the Father. You've learned that repeatedly. And again, this is where... You're 20 years in the faith, and you're acting like a nine month old. And so he's going, "Hey Corinthians, you you, you have, haven't you understood the grace of God that's been poured out on you?" He says that um, they will no, notice that the, the application of, of how this plays itself out. In that, it will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So you see this ripple effect that happens here. Um, first of all, it's, it's the idea that you end up in worship. So remember our process? I'm convicted, leads to repentance, leads to confession, leads to renewal and then I'm resting in Christ, and now it leads to rejoicing and worship. So now, I, at the end of that, I, I come to the place of worship, true worship. Um, it's satisfying at the heart level instead of seeking the other things that had distracted me. Secondly, you supply real needs to real people. People who prayed for God, prayed to God for help, are now receiving help. What, what do you think they do? They turn, they get the gift, and then they turn and are amazed at God. And the third thing, you spread the grace of the gospel, gospel deed and gospel word. So as people take the gift, a gift of grace, they also spread the gospel of grace to them through gospel word. In turn, God receives the glory. And then also you learn the love of the Father in that. So that's why God goes, that's why I want flourishing. That's what I want people to learn to walk in. And he closes up saying, while they long for you and pray for you, Because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So Paul has this kind of firm, rigid, I'm expecting you to give. You started a year ago. Let's start it back up. I'm sending some people ahead of us to start the process again. It would be embarrassing for me to show up, but we know you, Corinthians, you're dripping in generosity. That's the picture. We're praying about the surpassing grace of God upon you. So it's this picture of, but we know you, Corinthians. You're just dripping with the grace of God, right? And then he says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So we see him turning and turning all of that process, all of that, that that idea of if you've understood the gospel, if you've understood the ways of the Father, this is exactly how you would act. So for you to think through, where is my heart at on that? Where are you at today? Uh, none of this applies at all. None of this even makes any sense. And none of this can help you if you're not first given life from above, if you've not received true salvation from God. So it's not a list of you doing better in the church. It's not a list of you giving money. It's not a list of you acting better towards people. If you're not first saved, this isn't do these eight steps to get closer to God and then receive Christ. It is receive Christ first and then You can have the Spirit helping you to do those things. This isn't a matter of you doing things. You have to surrender your life to Christ, seeking forgiveness first. For some of you, maybe you're just like that child. You haven't thought about it in those terms. It's always been a a rule that you always failed at or maybe a rule you never appreciated. And maybe you need to spend some time just letting the love of God change your perspective, thinking through even in your unfaithfulness He's continued to just cover you with grace, continued to cover you with patience. So you may go, man, I'm 20 years in the faith. I'm 10 years in the faith, and I'm acting like a nine-month-old. I should be acting more mature. I should be living out more maturity in all these areas. So where are you at today? Maybe you're the one who needs to stop stiff-arming conviction and repentance and confession because you're thinking, I, I want to grow as a Christian. I want to see God do things. And he's going, well, here's some ways. And we stiff-arm conviction. We stiff-arm feeling um, conviction and repentance needed. We don't take the time, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, to, to spend some time with God. And we just think oh, just going to church on Sunday will do it. And that, that leads to spiritual just uh, just dryness. Maybe finances has been that top box for you. You secretly always have been concerned about finances. You've tried to hide it, but God's view on these matters is not where your heart is when it comes to finances or time or relationships or your abilities. And for some of you, maybe you're going, man, you're, I'm just full of rejoicing. God has truly changed my heart in this. I used to be a miser when it comes to money, a miser when it comes to my time, a miser when it comes to relationship, and God is renewing me. I see that happening. You should be rejoicing and resting and continuing to rest and, and recognizing and rejoicing in the grace of God. So as Brad comes up, um, we think through the Lord's Supper. Um, we uh we do this as an act of grace also. We see that part of the, the grace of God is for us every week to take part in the Lord's Supper, to look at his body broken and his, his blood spilt out for us. And so as we sing this song, um, Psalm 46, after, as we do the Lord's Supper, and Brad, will, Brad and Beth will start into Psalm 46 after giving you guys a couple of minutes of partaking of the Lord's Supper, um, we, we go before God going, man, tomorrow is not guaranteed we, we feel like it is. Remember last week I told you guys, sometimes we put our trust in um, our military. We put our trust and security in our jobs, our careers, our finances. We put our trust in this idea of upward mobility and security. And all over the world, we've seen through a pandemic and now uh, getting close to some really uh, big wartime that that tomorrow's not guaranteed in, in the idea that you haven't. So we rest in, we trust in the Lord. In his power in that. He's the one who has saved us, and so we appreciate salvation when we get saved, but then as our typical American way, we think the plan is God wants us to get stronger and become more independent and strong on our own when actually, no, we take part in the Lord's Supper each week to remember we are a broken people. He was broken in our place, that we are a desperate people in need of forgiveness. He shed his blood in our place, So we get to do that every week, celebrating that, but also as a proclamation to our own heart for those people around us, saying, man, if I'm doing this, partaking of this, I don't want to be the nine-month-old who doesn't ever share that life with other people. I want to be the person 10 years in on the faith where Jesus saying that he's the most to me would mean he would come up in conversations, would mean that it would be something that I would be able to talk to people about, that I would be concerned about the people in my life coming to know him, because I say that's the most important thing in life. And so as we partake of this, let God work on your heart in those areas. Let me pray. You can partake of the Lord's Supper and we'll finish with that last song. Father, um, you are the Lord of hosts. And that picture, in the Lord of hosts, um, millions upon millions, not, not 350,000 soldiers of Russia, not 350,000 Soldiers from America, not 350,000 soldiers from China, but millions upon millions powerful, angelic beings in the sky. The Lord of hosts was the picture. And yet Jesus could have called those down and freed him in front of Pilate. And yet he said, I will not call down millions upon millions of angels. I come for this purpose. So we are amazed at the picture of you. We thank you that you went ahead, Jesus, and you shed your blood. You walked to the cross. You asked us to carry our cross. You shed your blood, and your body was broken for our sake. Even though you could have called down millions upon millions of angels that would have slayed those leaders and those Romans and those chief priests in less than a minute. But you did that so that we could gather here today. So we do this in remembrance of you. We thank you as the Lord of hosts. We're not worried about what the war would look like over there. We're not worried about what the politicians are raging and the nations are raging about. We put our trust in you because you're worthy. You're sovereign. And you're the good, good Father that we talked about. You're a loving Father. Help us to live under your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.